This is Pine Glass Football, and I'm your host, Brad Fowler. On this show, I'm going to drink beer and give you my opinions and discuss the latest news around the NFL and college football every week, from the NFL draft all the way to the Super Bowl. Not only will you hear my takes, but I'll bring on media professionals from places like ESPN, NFL Network, CBS Sports, Pro Football Focus, Yahoo Sports, Fox Sports, and many other media outlets in order to bring you the most informative and entertaining football podcast out there. Don't believe me? Well, PGF has over 400 ratings and reviews and is ranked inside the top 1% most popular shows in the world, according to ListenNotes.com. The podcast is available at PintGlassFootball.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So become a member of PGF Nation and hit that follow or subscribe button right now. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us, and hi, you're listening to us. Thank you for making the sport and the world podcast part of your day. I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. I hope all of you are well and safe out there, and how are you, my friend? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm just enjoying some decent football, and we're starting to wind down and get to the nitty-gritty of it. Yeah, we're getting to that time, kind of we're past the past the halfway point of the NFL season. We're getting to the nitty-gritty, to your point. In college, there's some NFL news came out, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But let's just jump in a uh, little college. Uh, the college football rankings came out. We saw Georgia overtake Ohio State. Which they should. One. So we got Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan three, Florida State four, Washington five, the top five. It feels like it's, it's, it feels like a, I feel like we're in a courtroom. And I, I have to explain the rules of law but he's a smart guy he know chris knows the rules of law he's just he's trying to be my cousin Vinny is what he's trying to be it's <laughs> he's trying to over but but that's the top five and you have oregon texas alabama missouri louisville running up the top 10. so great to get your thoughts on it i'll get my thoughts on the back end on all the uh, college football rankings coming up this week and thoughts on certain teams or the rankings in general? So I think that this the CFP ranking system is just it it's just not even funny at this point anymore. Um you know there there are some teams that literally have minimal business on on being where they're at. Um and and we'll start at the number four position, which is Florida State. Um, in my opinion, and you know, if we go by what the CFP says they go by, Washington should definitely have a a ranking over Florida State. Florida State has played one reputable opponent all season long, and that was Florida. Or excuse me, that was LSU uh, in the beginning of the season and even then I think LSU is a little bit of an overrated program we talk about Brian Kelly's disasters and everything that he touches and you start looking at the schedule and that's really the only good team that Florida State has played all season 
Um, the rest of it has been it, it, it's been a squad of jokers at the end of the day. You look at their their schedule. Let's let's, let's dive in and let's take a, a hard look at it, shall we? Um, their teams like Syracuse, uh, you know, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh. You, you know, who have they really played? I mean, in, in in all honesty, who who have they truly played? So they open the season up with LSU, which I'll give them. They won. Then they played Southern Miss. Oh boy, that's a tough one. Boston College, who they barely beat. Clemson, who they needed referees in overtime to barely beat. Uh, then they played Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Duke, Wake Forest, Pitt. And then their next reputable opponent, which was Miami, who they barely beat again, who they're, they're, they blatantly missed a safety call. And at that point, that just took the sail, the wind right out of Miami sails. And that would have given the Miami the ball back. And the way they were playing at that point in time, they probably would have put some more points on the board. And let's just say they even they, they get the ball back and score. That final score would be 29-27, as is right now. Um, you know, so this week, Al, uh, Florida State has another very tough opponent on their schedule with Northern Alabama, because um, you know that's a that's a that's going to be a heated battle. And you know, then you you wonder how can they get in into the number four position with a schedule like that? Because they say that the strength of schedule is what truly matters. And then you start looking at, you know, Washington. You know, Washington, they, they played Arizona, they were ranked. They played Oregon, they were ranked. Uh, USC, Utah, they're now playing Oregon State uh, this week. And if memory serves me right, they're probably going to be playing Oregon for the Pac-12, uh, you know, title game. So why, why, are, why are they ranked below Florida State? I guess that's the million-dollar question. I'll tell you why. They're trying to keep the ACC relevant. The ACC hasn't been relevant in a number of years. And the ACC, the almost college conference, they're a basketball conference. Duke has a great basketball team. Uh, Wake Forest, uh, Clemson, all they, they, they're good at basketball. They're, this is not a football conference. And they're trying to make Florida State stay relevant. And at the end of the day, there's no disputing that. You, you, you look at the scheduling differences, and it, it speaks for itself right there. Uh, Georgia's back to the number one position where they should have been. I'm a very firm believer in order to be the man, you've got to beat the man. Nobody's beat Georgia yet. So I, I truly believe that they are uh, uh, in the number one position. And then I also think that Michigan and Ohio State should be sitting. I think Michigan should be sitting in, in the number two spot. Ohio State's another one of these overrated schools that have a, a, a trending position of beating up on community colleges and D2 schools and then struggling against uh, uh, adverse conditions. And the proof is in the pudding. Look at Ohio State. They have lost more bowl games. Number one, they're a sub-500 school when it comes to bowl games. So you can't sit here and scream that you're the best team in college football when you don't even have a plus 500 bowl record. And then their, their national championship, they've lost more than they've won. So let's also take that into consideration. So we're gonna we're gonna see what's gonna go on here. Of course, at the end of the season here in in two weeks, you're gonna have Louisville and Florida State play for the ACC title game. 
Um, we'll see how that works out. First, Florida State has to make it make it out alive in the swamp, and which hasn't been a very hospitable place for them over the years. Um, you know, the rest bouncing around the league. Um, you know, Michigan played Penn State this week with a very decisive victory over Penn State. Uh, with Jim Harbaugh, of course, not being on the sideline, happened to, to kind of watch from afar. Uh, Mizzou and Tennessee, Mizzou really came to, to bring the hammer on that. We talked about Washington playing Utah. Uh, I would say that's a very solidified victory for Washington on their resume versus a, a Florida State barely beating Miami. Uh, Georgia and Ole Miss playing. Georgia really, really put the beat down on uh, on Ole Miss. Alabama tuned up Kentucky very well, you know, and the the performance of Alabama as of late has just been just been really coming out. Jalen Milrow has just been he's he's been doing some work out there on the field, and I think he is just going to become continuously more and more dangerous. Um, it's going to be a great one. Of course, it was a shootout between Oregon and USC. Uh, of course, Ohio State had a very, very tough game, uh, you know, playing Michigan State. And, you know, they just had such a diligent victory there. And then, of course, the Florida LSU game. That game was in contention until the end of the third quarter. And I don't, I don't know what happened. You know, we, t- we talked about this a couple weeks ago. And I, I think that Billy Napier, I think he's a good head coach. I think that he is a good game manager. I don't think he's a play caller. And I think that's really starting the show and expose ourselves is his, I don't want to say lack of creativity or I think it's an aggressiveness factor that he, we talked about, you know, your back's against the wall. The chances of making a bowl game are come down to this week, and that's it, this coming week. Um, I think Napier has to do something. If your back's against the wall, swing for the fence. And if, even if you don't win, make sure that the teams that are playing you never want to play you again and make them recognize who who the danger really is out there. Um, I think this offseason, I think that the Gators need to go out and go get themselves an effective play caller and a proven play caller to back up and let Napier run the team, have somebody on defense calling the ball, have someone on offense. We have a great defense. Um, our problem is our defense is spending a little too much time on the field, and that seems to be a reoccurring factor. They start getting burnt out, and next thing you know, we start falling behind. Um, I definitely think that this game was well within reach, and then – Jaden Daniels just took it upon himself to make sure that it didn't. I mean, he by himself, he he got five touchdowns. You know, he threw for 372 yards with three touchdowns and then rushed for 234 yards with two touchdowns, which after me saying, you know, Florida has a great defense, those numbers dictate differently. But at the end of the day, um, minus this game, I think it's been a pretty fair outing for the Gators defense. But at the end of the day, I think that there needs to be some adjustments and some aggressiveness on the offensive side of the ball that may prevent these games getting out, getting out of control. Um, but LSU came out, did their thing, and you know they they did it very well last week, and we we can't even argue the numbers on that. Uh, and then of course you know we'll we'll do an honorable mention. UCF actually beat somebody. Uh, they they did beat Oklahoma State, so that brings them to five and five. Uh, so that was definitely. A, a thrashing, you know, UCS victory, 45 to three over the Oklahoma State Cowboys. So that was uh, that was an intriguing win on their part. And 
I think that's really a, really the main highlight games of the season, unless there's anything else that you wanted to touch on. Uh, no, no, I, I think you, you raise an interesting point. Now, it's just going to be real brief going back to the college football playoff rankings. And you talked about, like, straight the schedule, and I think I've talked about on this show a stat called the SRS, which is the simple, <clears throat> excuse me, the simple rating system, which kind of balances out your strength of schedule, you know, margin of victory and all that, all that beautiful stuff. So now it's a situation where when we look at this situation going forward, we look at the situation here. You talked about the college football playoff rankings. You talked about Georgia being, you know, we talked about Georgia and Ohio State, Michigan. Here's the thing we talk about when we talk about the SRS. So when we kind of look at when we kind of look at what we're looking at here, you know, first in that category is the University of Michigan in that category. When we talk about the strength of schedule and things like that, because so you know it's a balance of the scheduling and who they play and all that. But but do you want to know where Florida State's ranked in that, Chris? Where? They oh I was gonna play the game with you, but he's a direct man today, so I'll give him the answer. <laughs> <laughs> They're third in that category. And which is which is interesting. So and then you have so kind of do the top five of the top five teams. You have Ohio State second in that category. Uh Michigan's one, oh, Georgia's ninth, Ohio State's second, Washington's eighth. But however, the gap between the strength of schedule between Washington and Florida State is closer. It's kind of low key closer than what I thought. It's by one point. It's by one. Florida State has a slightly, when I mean slightly, I mean just above Washington. And that's simply because they play in the ACC. Now, I'm not saying Florida State's better than Washington. Because I always believe that there should be a balance between what we see in the numbers and what we see on the field. Because you hear me talk about a lot. You hear me talk about the BCS system, the old system that was used back in the day, back when we were teenagers. That's how that's how old the BCS is. So figure out our ages based on that, kids. And I, the one thing the BCS did that they affected how you know how you blew out teams. And that's why, like I said, University of Miami was great because, listen, they played in the Big East and they were beating everybody by at least 30 every week, which benefited. That's because they played to the they played to the ranking system. And what you're kind of seeing here now is it's an interesting battle between Florida State and Washington. Because I, I talked about Washington last week, Chris, and I said I'm going to be very curious to see how it shapes up because when we look at it, we're, we're going to see – Georgia and Alabama in the SEC championship game. That's already done and done and unlocked. So assuming Georgia wins that, you know, not trying to look down the road, but it's kind of somewhat close to the end of the road there. Georgia wins that. We assume they're going to hold their number one ranking throughout up to that SEC championship game. And then you start looking at Ohio State, Michigan. So the question is going to become, where if you're the committee, one of them is going to be a one-loss team when they face off at, at then after the end of the season. So how do you sort that out? So you have that situation, and Florida State 
on the path in the ACC championship game. So Florida State wins out. Do they get that spot? But Washington's in the same position if they win the Pac-12. So it's going to be inter- interesting to see how they handle that dynamic. That's the that's to me that's the intriguing storyline, because when you look at the the top five teams as is, I believe those are going to be the five teams in contention in contention, given their record. You know, barring like I say, Ohio State Michigan is the big game to circle, because the loser of that game is going to come away with one loss. So how does the committee? We've seen how the committee have have handled a one loss Ohio State team in the past. We've seen that. I don't want I don't want Senator. Chris here to go down that path again because you know it's a filibuster and we only have there's only so many hours in a day. But so that's that's the dynamic I'm interested in. And then before we present, I, I do want to talk about two things with the Gators game. And and I was watching the game. I was able to watch some of the game because I'm busy at multiple things, you know, I try to watch multiple things at once, the multitasking. But I think there's some takeaways. And with, you know, what I saw with Billy Napier, and it's it's the same point we kind of hit on last week, but I, it, 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 worth, it is worth repeating here. It bears worth repeating. At some point, we've, there has to be results because, listen, we saw Texas A&M fire Jimbo Fisher, and Jimbo Fisher is going is, is is to live on a nice hey. island. Yes, he's going to live on a nice island in Aruba somewhere, wherever he wants to. He doesn't have I to think that kind of, he might be able to just buy Aruba as a whole. Yeah, at this point, yeah, he might be. Yes. So he's, you know, so almost 80, $80 million payout. 77. So, so it goes to show you, Chris, that these schools aren't afraid to fire at the expectation. Now, am I saying Florida's going to fire Billy Napier? No, but remember what I said last week, Chris. Remember I said that these stretch of games coming up for Florida is going to be telling. You know, necessarily you don't have to win out, but you, we have to see what this team has. Because if it feels like how it felt toward the end of the Dan Mullen era, where it just felt like, you know, the wheels were off and someone, you know, the tires, someone took the tires, someone took the doors off, the, it, it was done. Then there is, it's a conversation that needs to be had by at the end of the season. I don't know if having a play caller could kind of change up the situation. I I think so it could. I'm going to get your thoughts on that. And I, I I really think it could. I think that that's the dynamic. So the the thing with Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen was a great play caller. That's an undisputed fact. The man has won two national titles and then also came into the Gators and picked up a program and went 12 and two, a couple of years, big New Year's six bowl winners, you know, kept us in a, a top 10 position. The problem is, is that he was not a head coach. He was not good at recruiting. He was not good at keeping discipline amongst the ranks. He kind of let the kids run wild and it didn't bother going out and going to get new ones. Napier is now the exact opposite where play calling. I just don't know if he's ready for the dynamic and the aptitude that you need to be a successful play caller in the SEC. And on the other side of that coin, we're the third best class next year, 
between five-star recruits, blue chips, four stars, um, you know, which is immaculate. Uh, he also has brought discipline to this program and made it a, a program that, I mean, are they doing the midnight workout sessions like Urban Meyer did? Probably not, but he's bringing and instilling discipline and you can see it on the field because if you look at the penalties, a lot of these penalties are actually his fault, whether it's a delay a game or whether it's a illegal formation, illegal substitutions, it's stupid things coming off the sideline that are costing them yards. I mean, granted, they do get false starts. I don't care what program. You look at, at some of the most disciplined programs, uh, the Army, Air Force, Navy. I, I would consider those three schools the three most disciplined collegiate football programs in the country because they are from the service academy. And there's one thing that you can link to military service is discipline. And they still make those penalties. They still get pass interference. They still get offsides. You know, so, I mean, th those you just write off. But if you look at statistically, look at the amount of personal fouls that we had a couple years ago to now. They've, it's gone significantly down. He's bringing order back to the program. I, I definitely think that the opportunity is there. I think that he just needs to be the game manager. Let someone call defense, let someone call offense, and, and also, which has shown a need, let someone call special teams. Special teams has been a, a thorn in our side, but we have a great kicker, but it seems like the problem is getting them out on the field to let them kick the ball. That, that's been the, the issue at hand here. Right. <laughs> um, you know, another thing, so I, I want to run some stats by you. I wanted, I'm going to give you a quarterback's stat, and I want you to tell me whether he belongs to an undefeated program or a 500 program. So you ready? I, I guess when the table is turned, I have to be ready, so I'm ready. Yes. So this quarterback, so, the, so far this season, effective as of Saturday's stats, not, you know, not going into this coming week, this quarterback is 247 for 337. 2,720 yards, 18 touchdowns, and only two interceptions. Does he belong to a undefeated program or a 500 program? Those numbers, you know, I, I, I'm going to say this, this this may feel like the old switch retrack. The answer should be undefeated, but I'm trying to picture the five teams that are undefeated with Georgia. I don't think it's Kyle McCord from Ohio State. I'm going to – so it might be Grant Merch stats for all I know. But I'm going to say, even though my gut says undefeated, I'm going to say 500. That's a 500. Okay. So you remember – so let, let's just focus on the, the yards and the touchdowns. So uh, 2,720 yards, 18 touchdowns, and two interceptions. Mm -hmm. Now, so just remember that for jot them down, write them off to the side or whatever. Now, I'm going to give you another quarterback, and I want you to figure out whether he's undefeated or 5-5. Five and five. So the first set of stats I gave you, you're agreeing that they are – that's a 500-program quarterback right there, right? Uh, that's correct, Regis. Yeah. That's, all right, so that's, that's we're going to lock that in. So the second quarterback is 205 out of 320 for 2,734 yards, 20 touchdowns, and two interceptions. I have to switch my answer here. Uh, because I'm pretty sure one of those is Graham Mercer's stat line. The, the, uh, the it sounds like a Graham Mertz stat line because I'm the nerd and I look at those things. Um, you know what? 
I'm going to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm going to say, no, I'm going to juxtapose. I'm going to say the first one is the undefeated, and the second is the 500. Okay. So, you're actually correct the first go-around. Ah, well, that, yeah. That, that first stat line, I gave you 247 for 337, 2,720 yards, 18 touchdowns, and two interceptions. That's actually Graham Mertz's. See, I, I I I knew one of them was Graham Mertz's stat line. I just I got thrown off. The going in two weeks from now, uh, you know, against Florida State with uh, Mr. Travis, their quarterback there out of Florida State, is two hundred five for three twenty, two thousand seven hundred and thirty four yards, twenty touchdowns, and two interceptions. He's they're in an undefeated program. That shows you right there what a true strength of schedule is, is that one quarterback, I mean, they're they within 14 passing yards and two touchdowns of each other. In completion percentage, Mertz actually has a higher percentage than than Jordan Travis. But that just shows you the, the stat lines of, of how difficult the SEC is versus the ACC. I'll give you – I'll run you another one, too. This is just uh, uh, running back. So, Benson, who's the running starting running back for Florida State, 113 carries for 721 yards and 10 touchdowns. Travis Entienne, who splits 50-50 time, which Benson does not do, splits 50-50 time with Montrell Johnson Jr., has 106 carries for 628 yards and seven touchdowns on a 50% – workload compared to Benson's essentially 80% workload. So I don't want to hear how Florida State has this as so adverse schedule because they, they really don't at the end of it. That just shows the, the the cookie cutter that they're having on it and the difference between a true strength of schedule when you're actually playing ranked teams almost every single week versus should be D2 schools that the only reason they're Division One is because they have a good basketball team. But that's that's my take, and that's what I have for uh, for college ball. Yeah, you know, I think you know to their points. I think we're going to see, like I said, the rest of this season, these last couple of games, it's going to be telling for for Florida to kind of see how they wrap up the season. And like I say, I go back to me the big storyline: what happens to Washington if they are undefeated? That's the question. Absolutely. And that to me, that's the question because if Washington is the pack. 12 champ, Florida State ACC champ, and then you have the one loss variable of Ohio State or Michigan. Three three teams essentially, you know, if we're if we're slotting in, let's just say we're automatically slotting in Georgia there. So we're talking about now we're dealing with Ohio State, Michigan, Florida, and Washington. Somebody's gonna get left out of the table. I still so, I still think that a one loss SEC team holds more weight than yeah, all those schedules to mind. And see, and once again, speaking of that, that throws an Alabama the mix. If Alabama upsets Georgia, then guess what we have, Chris? We have a one loss Georgia, and we have a one loss Alabama. You know, if so get rid Alabama, of Ohio State and Florida State, and then just put Georgia and Alabama in. So it's going to be interesting to see how this committee when we yeah, have. I called it for him. The regular, the, the modern day Sherlock Holmes is Chris. Speaking of solving mysteries, let's transition to the NFL. And I'm going to make my point super quick here and be super clear. 
you know, we, we had news that Deshaun Watts is going to be out for the season, deciding to have surgery. And then the big story with uh, Ken Dorsey being fired as the Buffalo Bills office coordinator. I'm just going to touch on those points really quickly because the rest of it, you know, uh, you know, we could talk about Denver's win, but that, that ties into the Buffalo situation. I want to talk about Deshaun Watson. We know he was given $230 million guaranteed, fully guaranteed. He wakes up at the bed, $230 million guaranteed. And so forty-six billion a season. So he's average. So he's not even. He's in the top, top ten, and you know yearly. So, but let me break this down to you by cap hit and by the percentage of the cap that he takes, or that he'll take for the rest of the, you know, for the next three. We'll just say three years. So we're not going to count this year. So for the next from twenty twenty-four through twenty twenty-six. The cap hit sixty three point nine. You might as well say sixty four million dollar cap hit that he's going to have. Now you look at that from the cap space perspective: twenty three point twenty five percent twenty twenty four, twenty four point eight six twenty twenty five, twenty three point two four in twenty twenty six. Now I say that, Chris, because the second you look at those, you you look at the numbers, it's telling you that. Like Miles Garrett is second on that list, and he's not even, and he doesn't even crack ten percent of the cap, and he's arguably the de- defensive player of the year candidate, and he's not even in the same, forget neighborhood, he's not even on, in the same state when it comes to, in terms of the percentage of the cap space, and I say this to say this, Chris, and this is where I say people say, oh well, you know, I, I don't want to get into the off the, I, I don't want to get into that. I want to get into the on the field stuff because this is where I look at the organization and say, I look at general manager Andrew Barry, I look at head coach Kevin Stefanski, and I say this: You knew Deshaun Watson was hurt, and there was the trade deadline, and you were able to see what you had in, you know, Dorian Thompson Robertson and PJ Walker. You were able to see that, and you were able to decipher, or you should have deciphered, that. They may not be the answer at quarterback if Deshaun is out for an extended period of time as he as he is now. So the question becomes, what do you do? Trade deadline's gone. Do you who's out there? You got you got 89-year-old, you got Joe Flacco out there. You got Colt McCoy, you got Nick Foles. And and, and I say this, and people may not like this, but I say, well, listen. Cam Newton is sitting out there too, and it, my guy was an NFL MVP. And and the reason why I think Cam Newton doesn't get the love is because I think they saw his last year he was in New England, and I argue, folks, you got to grade that with a curve, you know, as a starting. And then they saw how it ended in Carolina. I'm not counting. I'm not counting certain parts of the end because Carolina was a mess then, and kind of a kind of a low key mess now for different reasons. So the question becomes, Chris, if you're if you're the Cleveland Browns, what do you do at quarterback? Because your your defense is good enough to make the playoffs. And if you had a quarterback, you know, that experience, maybe a quarterback who under you know can get the offense and be consistent, like they and I'm not saying make a deep run, and make the Super Bowl, but they could make a run at this division. 
But now when you're looking at, well, if DTR is your only option and PJ Walker is your only option, and we've seen it, we've seen it. And plus you look at Nick Chubb is not, Nick Chubb, you know, is not there. You know, Kareem Hunt, you know, he, you know, he's splitting, you know, splitting snaps with Jerome Ford. It's it's the defense, Chris. And, and like I said, at some point, the defense can only carry you so long to the offense has to do something. And, and speaking of that, and that gives me the smooth transition to talk about the Buffalo Bills who fired Ken Dorsey. Because here's the thing, and people are like, oh, well, it's a Josh Allen problem. Oh, oh, dear, it's – I tell people to stop right there. Do I think Josh Allen is a microchasm of the problem? Sure. But let me let me read you something, and we're just – we're 10 games in. So, and so we're going to look at last season compared to where we are this season. So 2023, we're looking at total offense. The Buffalo Bills are seventh in total offense this year. You know where they were last season at the end of last season? I think number two. They were number two. So you see the drop. But let's go to defense. That's where things get spicy, a spicy meatball here. 2020. <laughs> so so in 2022. They were the end of the season as the sixth best defense in total defense. Chris, can you guess where they are right now out of 32 teams? 27. Oh, boy. 17th. Oh, okay. I was giving them a worse. <laughs> yeah, I was like, but when you watch them play, it looks worse. So when people tell me, well, Ken Dorsey's the problem, no, I think this is a Sean McDermott problem. That I say, if you had to rank the problems, it's a Sean McDermott defense problem. Josh Allen, and someone compared Josh Allen to Brett Favre in the way that they play. And look, and, and my response is, you know, was this when I did the write up on the piece and I was reading it was Greg Jennings, former receiver for the Packers. And when you when you when you read it in country, like, oh, it doesn't make sense the comparison. But when you think about it like this, Chris, Josh Allen kind of I don't want to say he plays reckless, but he plays loose. And at some point, it helped Brett Favre win games, and it also helped Brett Favre be the only quarterback in NFL history to have 300 career interceptions, too. So, and the gap, I said, go look it up, folks. There's Brett Favre, and then there's everybody else when it comes to all-time career interceptions. So, my my takeaway, my point is this. At some point, Chris, when you look at Buffalo, who's now sitting at 500, and they're in second. That's how this AFC East has turned out to be. And so we we can play what if. Like if Aaron Rodgers was healthy, how would this division look? So we, we start playing hypotheticals in our head because at this point, New England is, is – they, they're probably scouting as we speak for the draft in April. So they're already drafting. They're already there. And I, I love Bill Belichick, but it's been, it's been a, the, statistically the worst – season of his career and he's been there 24 seasons so the, the thing is this chris when i talk when we talk about hiring and fire we talk about firing people and we talk about you know what's next and plan wise ken dorsey was the fall guy because oh josh allen's the problem no the problem is is that you've leaned on this defense so much and like you like listen buffalo was the second best defense last year excuse me offense last year now they're seventh. It's not a huge gap, but there's a huge, there's a bigger gap 
between where they were defensively last year and where they are this year. People can say injuries. I I get it, but that I don't want to I don't want to sound like crass and say oh it's part of the game. But look at Kansas City's defense. Kansas City is a top five defense, and for years. Kansas City's offense has been carrying that defense who always were like a mid. They were kind of like where Buffalo was. So go look at their, go look at those Super Bowl years where they won. Go look at where they were defensively. It was always on Patrick Mahomes to be the guy. Yep. So now we're in a situation where, guess what? Josh Allen has to be that guy because the defense, 17th, and you're talking about they're 500, and we're talking about Super Bowl, you know, Contenders at the beginning of the season, I, you know, it's easy to blame. It's easy to blame two people. It's easy to blame the quarterback and the coordinator. It's easy. You look at your job. I said, whatever job you work, it's easy to, to it's easy to put blame on something, whether it's their fault or not. But the reality, the reality is this, Chris. Sean McDermott has to t- look look at the locker room. And, and oh, by the way, Chris. Did you see the tweet that you know the, the about Stefan Diggs that his brother Trayvon talked about? That's not good either because no. it, it kind of confirmed what we all kind of knew that you know Stefan maybe once out of Buffalo. And listen, that's it, it's kind of like what you talked about with Florida when you know when you talked about where you know where was the time where it felt like there was no discipline, no structure. I can make that case for Sean McDermott right now. Your number one receiver wants out. And you, your defense is not nowhere near where it was last year. So here we are, Chris. We're talking about Buffalo at five and five. And we're having conversations, Chris. Are they even going to make the playoffs? And, and, and I say it like this, and then I'll turn the floor over to you. The fact of the matter is this. I know my team, the Falcons, are having a similar issue, but listen, go look at our record. But that's, but that's, I'll say that for another day because I don't want to homer it down. But what I will say is this when you consider firing a coach, like Sean McDermott's seat got hotter after that loss against Denver because if you're like, oh, well, Derek, they lost, you know, it was a field goal. Go look at that game. Buffalo turned over the ball twice on two straight possessions. Make it make sense. We can argue all day long whether, you know, whose fault it is or up and down, you know, the reality of it all. But here's the thing, Chris. At some point, Sean McDermott has to take responsibility for this. Because if he doesn't take responsibility for Chris, because guess what? You can't say, oh, listen, well, we fired or we got rid of Ken Dorsey. He was the problem. Now you got Joe Brady, who we know from LSU, who coached, I believe, Joe Burrow when he was there at LSU. So now the question becomes, Chris, if we fire the coordinator and Sean McDermott's kind of running the defense because Leslie Frazier's not there, who's left to blame? And And I tell people this, look, when we talk about firing coaches, listen, Sean McDermott, he, he's a good dude. He listen, we 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 understand in life that there's good people, and then there's the business side to this. If you're a Bills fan today and you're looking up and you're like, are we 
you know, we obviously we're the second best team in our division record wise, but in, but also this. Think about this, and like I alluded to, imagine if Zach Wilson, who I have a fantasy thing, but we'll get to that segment because I, I had to make a, I had to choose between a, a you know an op, I had to choose between, uh, uh, well, two fruit two fruits and vegetables that you don't like. Insert there, folks, and pick out the the, the lesser of two evils there. But the point is. Imagine if Zach Wilson was, I'm not going to say competent, but imagine if a couple, you know, a couple of close games swung the Jets way. Then we're having a different conversation. We're talking about maybe the Jets kind of being at six and four and even being ahead of the Buffalo Bills sitting at third. So my my whole point is this, before I turn over the the floor to you, is, is that, if you're a Bills fan right now and we're looking for something to blame, Josh Allen was doing the same things he was doing this year he did last year. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. And they were the second best offense in the NFL. So all of a sudden, he's doing the same things now. And now it's bad. Like in his first 10 games last year, he had two, two, I think he had two more touchdowns than what he had. And he and he's throwing one more interception at this season. He has a better completion percentage over the first ten games than he did the first ten games of last year. What am I telling you, folks? People lie. You know, if you're on the show, cheaters. I'm pretty sure your spouse lied. But I tell you, who, I tell you what doesn't lie. That's numbers. So I yield my time to you, Senator. <laughs> it's my that's my thing because stats matter. No, so we'll start with Buffalo, and I want to work my way back to Cleveland. So with Buffalo, you know the OC catches the uh, catches the sword, and of course Josh Allen gets some flack, and now McDermott getting some flack. You know who didn't get flack with Arius? Who's that? Who's that? The receivers who failed to catch the ball after Josh Allen hit them square in the hands with it. Yeah. And then they bobble it like it's a hot potato and drop it. See, that's, that's, that's the thing as a quarterback. We, we talk about how the quarterback is like a cerebral position and how the quarterback is a, a, a melted, a, you know, yeah, like it's a neck up Yeah. You know, but we also talk about the physicality of it, you know, mm-hmm. but the one thing we fail to talk about is that when a, a quarterback delivers a laser shot right into your hands and you drop it or you tip it upwards and then it turns into an interception, you know, we, we fail to talk about that and how, and how the receivers should have some accountability into this as well. As a quarterback, your job is to call the play, to get it from the side, call it in the huddle, execute it from the huddle, get to the line, execute the play, and get the ball out. After you release that ball, now if you throw a lame duck or a bad pass, that's on you. When you're delivering laser precision accuracy, that, that's not on you. That That is a failure on the receiver's part that I think that people fail to, to acknowledge. So this loss isn't necessarily just on Josh Allen. I think it, it, it it's a culmination of receivers failing to uh, to catch the ball, 
And I think that also we circle back to the defense, like you talked about. And if, if you're not stopping points, they, you know, that that's how you lose at the end of the day. Um, but, you know, also hats off to Russell Wilson, too, playing his little heart out out there. We, we've been very critical of him the past year and a half between last season and this season. Um, and he definitely showed that he still has it. He still has the talent. He still has the know-how. I think he just needed the tools and maybe a better coach to 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 do something with that Denver organization. Um, and, you know, the only thing that I have to say about the Browns, I think they're their only clear and present option is Nick Foles. Um, Nick Foles has proven that he can walk into a situation and win you a Super Bowl. I'm not saying that he can do that with the Browns, but I'm saying that the the opportunity is there that I don't think they should pass up on. Um, I think that the 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 Browns the Browns have shot themselves in the foot. Number one, giving Deshaun Watson $230 million. I, I don't know if they legalize like meth or fentanyl in in the state of of Ohio. I mean, I think they do because of just how asinine Ohio State fans are and just how silly they act and how wild they act. But uh, I mean, giving giving Deshaun Watson two hundred thirty million now, you know he's injured. You had an opportunity to go out, but you know the problem is you go out and trade for somebody. You got to give something to get something, and and Cleveland doesn't have a lot to give because they owe a lot of people a lot of money. Uh, so with that being said, I, I don't know what they can do with that. I mean, they're sitting at six and three right now, which is still pretty good. They still have an opportunity, but things aren't looking pretty there. Um, so I guess we'll see what they can scoop up out of free agency. You know, speaking of not pretty, um, that Sunday night game with the with the Jets and the Raiders, you know. They had every opportunity, and by they, I mean the Jets. Um, they had every opportunity to score. I mean, it got to the point that they were first in goal on on a on a penalty. I mean, they got the ball, hand-delivered, silver-plattered, and they still failed to score. Um, it, it, it was just it – it, it turned into a field goal game. You know, the Jets kicked a couple, the Raiders kicked a couple, and then finally the Raiders put some points on the board in the fourth quarter. Um, there is no reason. The way that the Jets' defense was swarming Aiden O'Connell and containing Josh Jacobs and just outright containing Devontae Adams, I, I think that was one of the best defensive showings, I think, of the Jets all season. Um, but the offense just couldn't, they couldn't do anything. When your best carrier is Zach Wilson on 54 yards, when you have Brees Hall and uh, Dalvin Cook, you know, that's a problem. You know, Zach Wilson, I mean, thankfully he only turned the ball over only once, but, you know, he failed to deliver it in the end zone and they had so many opportunities to. Um, you know, like you said, if Aaron Rodgers was here, this, this could be a whole different conversation. Even if Zach Wilson can just manage the game a little bit more uh, and, and make some smarter decisions, we might see the Jets be at a, a, a five and four, a six and three, maybe even like a, a, a seven and two possibly. I think there are some games that they really could have won. They showed that they can win. They beat Philly, you know, and people forget that. And Philly's not no slouch program either. So the opportunity is there. I just, I don't know where the, where or what the Jets are going to do. And the disturbing thing is you start seeing our coach, Robert Sala, 
on the sideline, shaking his head, hanging his head, just shoulders low. And we talked about that with Napier, that 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 attitude reflects on the team and it starts to trickle that trickle down effect. Um, you know, then, you know, you start getting into a situation where you you have a, a, a quarterback who isn't performing. You have a coach who's visibly frustrated on the sideline. And then you have Aaron Rodgers, who's also shaking his head on the sideline, too. You, you wonder what type of, of psychology that brings to the entire organization, the defense, uh, the defense unit, and also the offense, and what's going to happen from there. But, you know, speaking of attitude, I want to move on to another team who's really showed a, a no-quit attitude, and that is Kevin O'Connell and the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings have had their back against the wall and you had your star wide receiver go out on a hamstring industry. He's been out now for five, six weeks now. And then your franchise quarterback, you know, and people can say Kirk Cousins isn't the franchise. Kirk Cousins has been the face of that, that Vikings organization for some time and leading that Vikings organization for some time. And then he goes out with a blown, uh, blown Achilles. So now they scramble and they trade for Josh Dobbs. I want to I want to give a shout out to to Josh Dobbs here. I mean, another game that he successfully commanded and and took this team right up the field every every drive and scored. Uh, you know, beating the the New Orleans Saints this week. You know, he threw for 268 yards, one touchdown. You can't ask for a, a better. You, you just you, you can't. You know, you can't ask for a better performance out of, you know, out of, out of the organization. Um, defensively, they're really hanging in there. And then also too, I just want to, you know, Ty Chandler was the rushing leader for the Vikings for 45 yards with a touchdown. Josh Dobbs was in second place with 44 yards and a touchdown. So let's not forget that either. Um, but, you know, the Vikings were a, a sub 500 program a couple weeks ago, and they're now a, a plus 500 program sitting at six and four right now. And they have a real opportunity to, to do something in their division. Uh, you know, the lions are in control right now at seven and two. Um, but you know, the Vikings are on a five game winning streak right now. You know, that's, that is a hot, hot streak. And I, I think it's only going to get better. And now you have Justin Jefferson coming back into the mix uh, this week. You know, so I, I think that the opportunities are going to be outright endless uh, for the Vikings. And I think they have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Now, the only downfall is, is that, so the question mark comes up now, let's just say that Josh Dobbs continues to perform for the rest of the season. What do they do at quarterback? Kirk Cousins is essentially up for re-election. Um, his contract expires. You know, what What does the Vikings organization do? Kirk Cousins has proven that he can win. His stats show it, and they, they've had a lot of good seasons as of late. But if Josh Dobbs comes in and offers that, that extra layer of offensive aggressiveness because of his ability to scramble and run, what do you do with Kevin O'Connell? And that's a very – and that's a, that's a tough decision that I can't even answer. Um, so, what, well, go ahead. What, oh, no. Oh no! I will. No, I, I just want to jump in. I want to interrupt your, your momentum there, Senator. Uh, 
I think you raised a very interesting question. And I, when you were talking about it, I was thinking. It, it comes down to two things. I think we have to, to look at two, two questions, per se. Is how much is Kirk Cousins worth fiscally at this point? Because now we have to throw in the Achilles injury. And so how much is Minnesota or any other team looking for a quarterback willing to give him? And his age does him no favors there either. So that's kind of like a question within the question there. But with Josh Dobbs, the the question is, do do does Minnesota see him, or who could he be potentially be a franchise quarterback? Could he be the guy that because his whole career he's been like he's been a journeyman quarterback. You know he's kind of like you know he's like a little bit like Ryan Fitzpatrick a little bit, where you know anywhere he goes, you know if given the opportunity, you know, you know. Kind of takes advantage of it to a certain degree. So, but that, but that is a very good question. And if, like I said, if one, if I, if I had answered today, I would say that Minnesota is going to be looking at the draft, or they may try to, you know, keep Josh Dobbs, try to keep him, and maybe get, like I said, and, and then go into the draft. Because not saying Kirk Cousins is the equation, but he's going to come up for significantly less money because of that injury. Because he'll be healthy at some point around 2024. So I don't think before he got hurt, he was going to get big money again, I believe. But the injury kind of changes things. Oh, absolutely. So, so like I said, if you're in the front office and you're Kevin O'Connell, that's the dichotomy you're kind of dealing with. Like Josh Dobbs, we see how good he can be in pockets. But could he be the franchise guy? Could you want to move on from Kirk Cousins and kind of Josh Dobbs be like a stopgap? Why you could get a young quarterback, Kevin O'Connor can bring in his quarterback that he wants, which is important, and kind of have him sit and kind of watch Josh Dobbs and kind of go from there. So that's interesting. So that's interesting. You know, this might be a one and a half cents on that. I uh, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely want to see how that's going to turn out. So I think we'll we'll see that situation evolve based on the rest of the season, and if Josh Dobbs can perform to the level that he is, uh, you know, in this moment. Uh, moving around the league, you know, uh, the Commanders and the Seahawks played. That was a great game. Uh, Geno Smith really showed out there. But you know, let's not forget about Sam Howell out here just gunslinging it out there. This past Washington offense you know I actually got something queued up for him a little later on um the the Cowboys outright decimated the Giants um you know as as much as I love picking on the Cowboys they're sitting at six and three right now and (laughs) it's hard to argue the stats you know and guess guess what one factor of this game contributed to the win you want to take a wild guess? Sure. Dak Prescott not screwing up. Way at one screw, but you, you you actually got the person. But we we talk about a common statistic that he had. Oh yeah, the passing oh, attempts. Yep. So he was less than fifty, and guess what? <laughs> I mean, 
That's here we are. Watching the world lock of the lock of the year. Forget week. That's the lock of the year pick every year. Yeah, I mean we can't. I mean that's a, that's a prop bet that I think we should be able to to, to win some money on if on FanDuel or something there. Um, you know, then you have of course the 49ers and the Jaguars. Uh, the 49ers came in really really tore the Jags up. Unfortunately, Christian McCaffrey did not score a touchdown, so he's not going to be able to break that record. Um, of course, the Steelers beating the Packers. Uh, the Buccaneers really putting on a show against the Tennessee Titans. Um, the Lions on an outright shootout with the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. And then the surprising victory, I think, is the, the Houston Texans over the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, you know, C.J. Stroud, is he he's coming out, you know. And if you really sit down and, and look at the situation that the Texans are in, it's not like they have a lot of talent there. I mean, let's, let's be, let's be very forthcoming and understanding that their, their talent pool isn't exactly a, a, a deep one, we'll call it. Um, but yet they're finding ways to win their five and four. This, I mean, they're a 500 program plus right now. I honestly can't even tell you the last time the Texans were having a winning season. Um, but, you know, I think C.J. Stroud is really, really starting to kind of show himself in the NFL that he can be an NFL caliber quarterback. So I, I am happy to see that young man succeed, considering that the deck is kind of stacked against him there. Um, and then, of course, the, you know, the, the bottle with the Broncos and the Bills, um, you know, there's there's a lot of finger pointing, but the one like we said, the one we forgot is to look at the receivers and the, their failures there. Um, if the quarterback strikes you and hits you with the ball, you got to be able to hang on to it. Otherwise, you're going to you're going to make it for a long night for you and might get your offensive coordinator fired because of it. So, I mean, I guess lucky them for not catching that axe. Um, but, you know, around the league, that, that really kind of circles around that. Um, I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to touch on or if we want to just jump right into fantasy. Huh? No, I think I think now we, we can transition to fantasy, and I think when we look at fantasy, it, it's kind of been the theme. It, it's it, it's been a rough year. I don't I don't have to tell certain owners, you know, but it's been rough on the quarterback position. That's but also I've I've also believe that we've gotten solid value. I kind of feel. From like the tight end position in certain spots in the week, you know, I'm not saying that as a Sam the Porter owner in Dynasty. I'm I'm not trying to flex and yeah, because I'm not gonna say with one of our leagues, they're like, oh, I want to Sam the Porter. Listen, listen, listen. I may not be a great coach, but I like to consider myself a, a, a solid general manager. But. But I think this week, interesting, now we're looking at a lot of these matchups. I think, like I said, we're, we're, at, the, we're at this point in the season. I don't know if you agree, Chris, but, like, you're you're either in kind of championship mode you're, or you're in kind of a mode where, hey, you've kind of settled yourself to, like, okay, 2024 is coming. I'm cool. Or you're kind of lost in that middle where you're like, hey, if we go on a run, we could make some noise. So, so with that, so with that being said, here's Chris's starting system for week eleven, week eleven already, folks. I know it's flying by. Of of the twenty twenty three season, take it away. So, you know, to touch on what you said, um, you're neither gearing for the playoffs, 
you're struggling to get into the playoffs or you're just, well, there's always next season. So ironically enough, I have all three of those bases covered. In one league I'm in, I am just saying, you know what? There's always next year. Um, in another league, I am at 500. I'm five and five right now and saying that, you know what? There's opportunity. I'm only, there's only a game difference between me and, and the playoff holder right now in fourth place. Um, and then there's the final status of where I'm at, which is the, now I'm gearing for the playoffs, which is our, our, our dynasty league, our primo league there that we often reference on the show. Um, so unfortunately I'm feeling the heat of all three of those burners, um, you know, and heavy as the crown and deep as the well is what they say. Um, so, you know, moving into now, you know, you have a lot of, a lot of injuries this year. Um, I had somebody in our league equivalent my moving around of players because of injury. It looked like I'm playing a game of Twister, just bending and, and doing all these things and somehow getting away with it and winning. Um, and, and just picking up waiver wire guys and then they exceed or having good solid backups or trading for good backups in case of emergencies. Um, you know, one of the, one of the trades I think that really benefited me this season right now is that, um, ironically enough, a week before Kirk Cousins got injured, um, I was offered a trade heads up. Uh, Sam Howell for Brock Purdy and both of those guys they sit pretty pretty equivalent to each other I would think you know statistically you would think that Brock Purdy has the advantage because of Brandon Ayuk and Devo Samuel and of course Christian McCaffrey um, I went ahead and pulled the trigger on the trade and I got some flack for it because as we know on this program it seems like any move I make is uh, turns into a Senate confirmation hearing uh, but you know here we are um, now I've got a, a, a quarterback that's putting just as many or if not more points than Kirk Cousins was with a significantly lesser capable offense. Um, so I, I, I talked about Sam Howell that I had something set up for him. So going into week 11 for fantasy football, so we're going to do the typical rundown, start at quarterbacks, finish with tight ends. Um, I actually have, for the first time this season, Sam Howell on a must-start so your must-starts, of course, are your Josh Allens, your Joe Burrows, your Patrick Mahomes, your Dak Prescotts. And for the first week, I have a Sam Howell on there. Uh, and this is because, A, he's playing the Giants, and this is just going to be a complete disaster. And, B, Washington's just ridiculous pass-happy offense. His numbers are, are going to be just completely insane uh, going against the Giants, I think, this, this week. And it, it's really going to show. Um, moving down to your stronger starts, I, of course, I do have Lamar Jackson and the Ravens going against the uh, the Bengals. You know, he can be frustrating. Uh, he's a very boomer bust, but, you know, I think it's going to turn into a shootout between him and Joe Burrow. We talked about defenses. Both teams' defenses are kind of flailing. Um, we're not going to see a lot out of it. I think Kyler Murray is going to be another very strong start uh, from the Cardinals against the Houston Texans. Uh, I definitely think that another shootout between both of these teams. Uh, Brock Purdy and the 49ers uh, going against the Tampa Bay Bucks. I think this one, they're going to have to really, really kind of air it out and get some things going. Tampa does have a very good run defense, so I think it's going to be now more of a pass-back situation with Christian McCaffrey and also Brock Purdy taking just deep shots. 
uh, Josh Dobbs from the Minnesota Vikings. I've got him uh, coming through. So you have uh, a, a Broncos defense that's kind of wavering. You have Josh Dobbs, who's just outright showing out. And then more than likely, you have the return of Justin Jefferson coming back in. Um, so I think that's only going to get better. Um, another very strong start option is going to be Tua Tagalova uh, from the Dolphins going against the, the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, you know, his ceiling is going to be so high because of how lackluster the the defense is in Vegas. So we're going to see him have uh, definitely one hell of a game. Uh, your DFS draft picks, FanDuel's, DraftKings, those types. Uh, CJ Stroud, you should be able to pick him up for less than 8000 um, so if you're in a situation where you got a quarterback on by, you maybe have one you don't feel comfortable in and you got some money in your pocket burning, uh, go ahead and take a peek at TJ Stroud there. Some of your weaker starts, like a Justin Fields from the Chicago Bears going against the Detroit Lions. Um, should and this is if he does return, he has uh the Lions at home with a failing, flailing Chicago offense, and the the, the Lions are definitely gonna eat eat that up. Um, Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars going against the Titans. Uh, he's just not getting it done as of late. And I think that the Titans definitely need to step up based off of last week's game. I think they're going to have a nice little revenge in conference game. Uh, Russell Wilson, as great as he's been, uh, against, uh, that he was last week against the Bills. I think that the Vikings are just on such a hot streak and they're, they're going to do very, very good things against Russell Wilson keep him contained, and I don't think he's going to have the success that he did uh, against the Bills. Um, Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers against the 49ers. If you've noticed every week that the 49ers play, I have a quarterback that's playing against them that I have on a weaker start, so just go ahead and set that one off to the side. Um, moving down to running backs, of course, your must-start, Chris McCaffrey's Austin Eckler's Travis Entienne's Raheem Mostert. So, you know, if you don't know him by now, just go ahead and get up and on out of here. Um, some of your stronger starts, I think, is going to be Devin Singletary with the Houston Texans going against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Singletary has been incredibly hot as of late, and the Cardinals' defense is about as poor as the Swiss cheese uh, when it comes to run defense. So definitely expect him to have a good day. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr., the Washington Commanders, going against the New York Giants. I think he's going to have a pretty fat workload, and he's also going to get a uh, an easy easy setup on on a lot of good pickups. Uh, against the Giants lacking uh, offensive, or excuse me, defensive front. Uh, Gus Edwards from the Baltimore Ravens going against the Cincinnati Bengals. I definitely just stick with the bus scoring against us. I, I, he's definitely been the most consistent back uh, for the Ravens organization. So I expect that just to, to continue through. Another one is Jalen Warren from the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers going against the uh, Cleveland Browns. Even though we just talked about how great the uh, the Browns' defense is, um, it's no no shade or, sh or or anything to them. But this guy has just done very well. So Najee Harris has been really the kind of the good open back, and then he starts pushing some yards. So they go into more of like a zone contained defense, and then Jalen Warren just turns into a pass back, and he's catching these bubble screens or these little short slant routes or these little tiny passes that he does break off for a good chunk of yard, and so. Definitely expect him to have uh, a, a good situation there. DFS picks, so your DraftKings fan duel. Uh, Roheem Mostert from the Dolphins going against the Raiders. Um, even though that they don't, um, you know, run the ball as as, as much, especially with uh, Akheim, you know, with his knee situation, I, I still think Mostert's going to get himself a really, really good amount of usage. 
and you should be able to pick him up for roughly about 7800 or less in both leagues. Some of your weaker stars be Keaton Mitchell from the Ravens, Ty Chandler from the Vikings, uh, Antonio Gibson, mainly just because of Brian Robinson's touches. Um, James Cook with the Bills going against the, the, the Jets defense. Uh, a, he's on the job. He's he's on the verge of losing his job because between ineffectiveness, fumbling, and now you have big old Leonard Fournette getting ready to to probably step into the ring here. And then you're also playing the New York Jets this week. Um, they, they really have shut down the run game of many, many teams. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, same situation uh, going against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, you know, both him and Miles Sanders, I think, are just going to have a hard time. The Cowboys defensively have been playing some very, very aggressive push defense to, to contain running backs. Uh, A.J. Dillon for the Packers going against the Chargers. He ran well last week. I don't think it's going to be the same situation uh, going, going against the Chargers this week. So don't expect him to have too much of a big game. Uh, moving down to wideouts, of course, your your must start your Tyree Kills, your C.D. Lambs, Jamar Chase, Brandon Ayukes, so on and so forth. Um, some of your real strong starts that have some really really open uh, uh, options here would be Jacoby Myers from uh, the Raiders going against the Dolphins. Um, it seems that he's really developed a relationship with Aiden O'Connell uh, as of late in the game script. And I think that he is going to be the one that O'Connell kind of leans on to make sure that he can get the ball out and get him in hands. Uh, Chris Godwin with the Bucks going against the uh, 49ers. I think the volume on the outside is what is going to get him. The, the, the 49ers do have a problem covering those outside routes. So I think that Godwin's going to be able to expose it because he is very good at running them. And he also has the ability to get out in open field very, very quickly. Uh, Noah Brown from the Texans, you know, we talked about, um, you know, the success of CJ Stroud, that's because of Noah Brown last week. And I think going against the Cardinals, this is going to be a very similar situation uh, based off of the, the, just the play calling um, your DFS draft picks. Uh, surprisingly, Devontae Adams has now made it this far down the list. Um, I think that he'll also get a good chunk of, of, of sites from Aiden O'Connell, but it just seems like they, they're still trying to figure each other out. You should be able to pick him up for 7,900 or less between DraftKings and FanDuel. Uh, same thing with Amari Cooper. You should be able to get him for 7,300 or less uh, playing against Pittsburgh. Um, this is going to be a curious situation to see what's going to happen here. I, I still think that even with the quarterback dilemma that the Browns have, I still I think Amari Cooper still should do some do some decent things. Some of your weaker starts can be Calvin Ridley from the Jaguars. Um, he just hasn't been really relevant as of late. And then the Titans do have a very modest secondary, so they should be able to hang him. Uh, I did bump down Gabe Davis on this going against the Jets. He's continuously dropping the ball, and I think there's better options behind Stephon Diggs than, than Gabe Davis at this point. Uh, George Pickens from the Steelers. I, I think with, uh, with with the situation there, their, their defense is good in Cleveland, and I think that Pickens is going to get picked apart. Uh, quick ref, you know, quick little pun there. Um, Jerry Judy and the Broncos going against the Vikings. The Vikings aren't great in slot, but they're really, really good at containing that number two receiver, and that's where Jerry Judy kind of falls in. So I think that they're going to be able to hold him down. Um, you know, and then Tyler Boyd, he's having a similar situation as Gabe Davis. It's just the, the, the drops keep getting in the way, and I think they're starting to pile up, and that might be getting into the psyche of them. Um, last 
but not least, moving down into tight ends, your must-starts, your TJ Hokinson, your Mark Andrews, your Dalton Kincaid, uh, your Trey McBride, George Kittles, of course. Uh, some of your stronger starts are going to be uh, Cole Komet from the Bears going against the uh, Detroit Lions. Outside of DJ Moore, Komet, I think, is the only option to get the ball moving and keep it moving and from going stale. Uh, Jake Ferguson from the Cowboys going against the Carolina Panthers. Um, the way that, that that they've been playing lately with the Cowboys, uh, Ferguson's been getting a lot of looks. He's catching a lot of balls. And Dak Prescott, if he can keep it under 50 attempts, they, they typically do well. So as long as he doesn't pass Ferguson 50 times, I think we'll be okay. Uh, Michael Meyer from the Raiders going against the Dolphins. Um, you know, he, he showed that he can he can catch the ball last week playing against the Jets defense, and the Jets are stingy on tight ends. Um, Miami isn't as tough on tight ends, so I definitely think that he's going to be a very, very good option for you. Uh, a DFS draft pick option that you should be able to get for 5,800 or less between draft teams or Pandals, Dalton Kincaid from the Bills. Um, this, this rookie is... He's out there doing work. Um, he's 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 good at chipping off the line. He's good at blocking. He's also good at that downfield yardage and uh, and yards after contact. So expect him to have a a good situation there. Uh, moving into your weaker starts, of course, be Tyler Conklin from the Jets um, going against Buffalo. It's just because of the quarterback situation in, in the Jets organization right now. Uh, Gerald Everett from the Chargers going against the Packers. He just keeps getting hurt, and I think that's starting to become a very serious concern. David Njoku, um, he's hot and cold, and he's been more cold lately than hot. And then Pittsburgh also has a pretty solid run or a tight end defense. Uh, and then Tyler Higby from the Rams going against the uh, Seahawks. The Seahawks are just in a position where they cover tight ends really, really good. Um Outside of that, you know, that's my start. I've been sitting for week 11. I think at this point you guys know where you're sitting. Start looking at the free agency wire. Um, pick up what you can if you need to start plugging holes to keep the ship floating or just keep doing what you're doing and, and keep sailing or tank the rest of your season and get those draft picks for next season. Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean listen. so surprisingly, I'm going to stick with Sleeper. Yahoo, I'm doing better than what I thought in two, two leagues. I, in both the leagues, I think we're, I, I, I'm doing better given the circumstances. But I, I made a move on sleeper, and because I, I lost, I lost Anthony Richardson, I lost Kirk Cousins, and Justin Fields was hurt. I don't think I, he might be playing this week. I, I but. I don't know how healthy he'll be, but but so I had to make a, a decision. And then plus Taylor Heineke, they're on a bye week. So so I haven't having the greatest look at quarterbacks. So I, I went to the wire and I'm like, great. So more more or less, I I I cut I had to cut Matt Jones and I picked up Zach Wilson. And was did, did I look at myself in the mirror after that move? Yes, I did. I got up after I made the move, and I said, Ladarius, it had to be done. Because it's in, in the IDP league, I'm 500. So, and I'm like, ah, I, I need a quarterback. So, we'll leave it there. But, but to your point, but to your point, Chris, 
I think you you know where you stand, where you are in your league. But also, uh, you know, I, I do want to shout out a couple of you know. I want to say we may give we may give out some end of the season fantasy awards or some kind of awards or something. We'll we'll talk about it. I'll, I'll call a trophy shop and see what happens. But <laughs> but to me, one of the players to me, and I'm not saying that like he's on my team, or I, I just think that you know Sam Laporta. Find, as a rookie, finding his role in a very good Lions offense. Like, I tell people, think about this. You know, Jared Goff has – you know, they went and drafted Jameer Gibbs, and David Montgomery showed you, hey, I, I still exist too. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty good too. And I'm on Ron St. Brown. And so, you know, then you got Jameson Williams, who I think at some point hopefully will pick it up at, you know, kind of get back consistency. And then, like, Sam LaPorta has kind of been, I could argue, maybe in terms of the passing game, the second best, you know, the second best target for Jared Goff all season. And it, it goes to show you when we talk about rookies, because we you talked about, we talked about C.J. Stroud. And I tell people to think about, and somebody mentioned this, so I don't, I'm not going to take credit for it. But to, remember at the, at the last game of the season, remember when, if the Texans lost, the Texans would have had the top pick. And, but instead, Lovey Smith, before he had one foot out the door, he had, he had his foot, a hand, he had a box with his stuff halfway out the door. And he goes out and wins the last game of that season, last season. And then they get, and they get the second pick. And so that's, you get CJ Stroud. And then, oh, by the way, then they also trade and they get Will Anderson. You know, and I say that to say this, when you look at some of these rookies this season, it's all about value, even, even in the actual NFL draft, even in fantasy. It's all about getting value. Because people may make the case, oh, well, Bryce Young is struggling and CJ. And I'm like, look, I'm not, I'm like, first of all, two, two different situations, two different, to, you know, I, I I'll, I'll argue this. I I argue Houston, and you don't feel agree. Houston has more, tar, you know, more kind of a. I don't want to say better weapons because they got Dalton Schultz, and you look at guys like Tank Dell and Noah Brown, there. So they kind of had, you know, if you look at Carolina outside of, like I don't want to be this guy outside of Adam Thielen. Like who I tell people, I, I argue this. If if you can't name me at least two, you know, two solid, you know, weapons, like in the passing game, there's an issue. Like if I tell you, Carolyn, Adam Thielen, and who's second on that team? Jonathan Mingo? Hayden Hurst? <sighs> so I tell people that I said fantasy this season has been kind of predicated on you, on got on, on, on rookies. Look at CJ Stroud. Look at Sam Laporta. Like Jameer Gibbs, when you give him the ball, I think, you know, you give him the ball. He showed you what he could, what he could do. And like I said, if you look at, even when when Arthur, I'll put it this way, when Arthur Smith, before Arthur Smith and Bijan Robinson got into some sort of beef, he was <laughs> Bijan Robinson was getting the football. He was looking like the guy that was going to be arguing offensive. You know, he's going to be a fan. He's going to be a, a fantasy stud. 
But once again, once again, we have to factor in this, Chris. People are like, oh, they're going to be great. We got to understand what team they're going to, and more importantly, who the coach is and how they run the place. Because if, if you know, I'll say this. I, I didn't want to go there, but I'll go there. It's like one of those 30 for 30. What if I told you that Jonu Smith, Jonu Smith has been seen as the top tight end option than Kyle Pitts? Yeah. I, I tell people, why, why is this concerning? Well, it should concern you because they spent a top five pick on it. They spent a top 10 pick on B. John Robinson. You got a young receiver in Drake London. Look, and you get those situations in fantasy where you're like, man, I know they're great. And, you know, every week, you know, I know some weeks you mentioned London, some weeks. But at the end of the day, it's like they're great matchups and you were spot on. But the reality is that it, it boils down to how Arthur Smith uses them. And that's why I tell you, coaching matters. Because the way D'Amico Ron is telling D'Amico Ron is telling CJ, hey man, just do what you do. Just go out there and sling it. And you saw it. Go out there and make plays. And, and fantasy owners love to hear that. Trust me. If you had CJ Stroud on your team. So you should figure out what like I say, know where you are. Good luck in your matchups. And I want to say that I usually don't have these anecdotes to end the show, so I'm really happy with myself. Because Chris is the guy that does the I think I, I kind of look at me and Chris as kind of like like Starsky and Hutch or, you know, a, a duo where we're complete opposites. But when, when you put us together, the case will get solved. It may not be solved in the way that typically, but, hey, we'll, we'll stumble upon the we'll, – we'll solve the case. But I don't know if you saw this. And it made me think of you of something, you know, we mentioned earlier in the show where there was a, uh, this, a senator from Oklahoma – and they were at the, at a hearing, and 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 he they were talking to I believe it was the the union leader of the, of the Teamsters or something like that. Oh so, yeah. And so, for those who don't know, so the, the the senator from Oklahoma was reading off some tweets. Which listen, folks, tweets. I, listen, at this point, if you don't already know, tweet. Like, listen, you can write someone a piece of paper, you can throw it away, you never see it again. You put something online, the receipt's going to get found, I'm pretty sure, nine out of ten times. So that's exactly what happened here. So basically, more or less, a sitting United States senator was going to reach across, literally reach across the aisle, but not nothing in unity, and go after the – I look at that teamster's guy, I'm like, listen, listen, we don't know where Jimmy Hoffa still is to this day. So, and I'm like, you going after that guy? I'm like, listen. I mean, we if memory serves me right, uh, I think that the senator's also a, uh, he was like a, yeah, an actual MMA. certified mixed martial artist. Yeah, MMA, yeah. Yeah, that's what made like he, he, he He fought like three pro-sanctioned fights. He's like three and out. I don't yeah. know, like, like those are the type of dudes I don't think you really want to go out and pick fights with. They, it, it, you know, it, they it, get paid or got paid to punch people in the face. Right. I always tell people, always read the dossier of the people you're going to meet because there's going to be something in there that may change your words. <laughs> but, and it took, you know, I felt in this situation, I feel like Chris would be the guy, would be the senator, and pick Ohio State fans or whatever fan base Chris I mean, goes after. I'm getting smoked. 
and then I'm Bernie Sanders trying to say, sit down. You're a sitting United States senator. Sit down. Yeah, no, I definitely, uh, that was. uh... I immediately thought, I'm like, this is something I can see, you know, if, you know, we get blessed, we do this show on the road and people, and we just, if we do it in Ohio, we got to do it in a certain part of Ohio because we, we may or may not have to pay for extra security. And I can see Chris getting into it with the Buckeye fan. And then I'm Bernie Sanders. Chris, you are a podcast. Sit down. Bring in the smoke. But, but as I said, I love sharing it because I never get to do Those are your things. So yeah, it's usually me. Yeah. Usually me coming to troll, but no, well well done on that one. But, but what I I want to say that I I very rarely end the show. That's Chris's job, but I get in it today. Like, listen to, subscribe to this episode, every episode of the Sports in the World podcast. Apple, Spotify, we get your podcast. Follow me on the socials. Follow Chris on the socials. And if Chris has nothing left, which that's, that's all I got, uh, there's no, there's no, but there's no, uh, there's no uh, aisle to cross. So until you hear us again next time, I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. Be real, be you, be blessed, and be safe from all of us here from the Sports and the World podcast. See ya.